Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Hello, it's O'Toole here. Before we begin today's podcast, which I hope all of you will enjoy, I just wanted to set the stage with a true creative powerhouse. Posey Graham Evans, international best-selling author and creator, writer, and producer of McLeod's Daughters, a show that ran on Australian TV from 2001 to 2009 and is still available to U.S. viewers via Netflix and Hulu. Here, in her own words, Posey Graham Evans. The core idea for this show was actually a picture. I was flipping through a magazine and it was a bunch of girls um, leaning over a five-bar gate and they were just ordinary Aussie girls and blue, blue sky, great big hats that shadowed their faces and all you saw were these great big white grins and um, it was such an arresting image and seriously I thought women running a cattle station and it was as simple as that. When it premiered Mother's Day to 1996, uh, it just went through the roof. It went through the roof. And it remains, to my knowledge, the highest rating Australian telemovie of all time. I don't think anybody's beaten us. But the network was still scared to death. I think they did not believe that a female drama would sustain audience interest. A hurdle also was convincing people we could shoot this series 100% on location. And I swear to you, even though I sounded very confident, I was scared to death. Because when you're doing this amount of stuff and you're doing major stunts and you've got horses and you've got weather and you've got four seasons in one day and you've either got extreme heat or extreme cold, um, it was a big, big gamble to see if we could deliver this. We treat that piece of land very much as a working farm and the actors do stuff. So that means that not only do they have to learn their lines, hit their marks, but they have to do it with animals. Casting is one of those enormously subjective things and it was a really long and exhaustive casting process. I think we saw something like 400 actresses before we found Bridie and Lisa. We had to find uh, real leading men because they had to be such powerful actors to hold their place on the screen with five women. My God, you know, they had to really have it. People call Aaron, and I think he'll forgive me for saying this, the human forklift. He is enormous. He makes Lisa look tiny. And Lisa is, you know, she's a tall girl. She's five foot ten in old money and he's six foot five in old money, you know. And Miles is six four. And it was a joke for a while. Everybody had to be, like, you couldn't cast men on the clouds unless they were like six foot four. And it just kept happening. It's a great afternoon to talk about McLeod's Daughters. This is a show that I discovered late one night on the Wii channel. This series, in its heyday, was the most popular drama on Australian TV. It won eight Logies, which is the Australian equivalent of our Emmys. Um, the Logies, of course, are named after the Scotsman who invented the television. I basically cancelled my life for two weeks and watched all eight seasons in one fell swoop. I told people at work I was going on vacation, and I sat there for two weeks and watched it. You know this. Yes. So McLeod's Daughters is what we're going to talk about today. And also I want to say hello to Shanette Cohen, who's with us. Shanette, tell everybody what you're doing here. How'd you get here? Thanks so much for having me. First of all, I was listening to a number of the podcasts and I love them so much, but I found myself talking back to you. I'm sure that other <laughs> listeners do the same thing. So I was, I commented saying that, that I love listening, but that I was complaining that it was frustrating. I couldn't add my two cents. 
and then you were so nice to invite me to come on and add my two cents. But I think what she said was more less of, oh, gosh, I wish I could add my two cents of, I wish I was there because clearly you people don't know what you're talking about and I don't agree with everything you're saying. It was really great because what she was pointing out, which we always talk about, is there's so many points of view. So we thought the perfect first guest for us to ever have in our podcasting would be somebody who loves to talk about film the way we do and who also has different points of view. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you sounded like you were having so much fun and I really we wanted to have join fun. in. Yeah. Well, well, Jeanette, I just want to extend a welcome too, and um, and perhaps you could explain to our listeners how it is that we thought McLeod's Daughters would be the perfect TV show to discuss with you. Well, absolutely. In, in my day job, I am the executive director of the Hampton Classic Horse Show, which is an equestrian show out on the east end of Long Island at wait, the end wait, of the wait, summer. Wait, wait, wait. She's being very... The Hampton Classic, for those of you not in the equestrian world, is truly the foremost horse show in the country. It takes place for one week in the summer. And I don't even know what's the prize. I mean, the, it's huge. Well, our Grand Prix is $250,000, <laughs> but we have about close to $800,000 in prize money over the course of the eight days. So it's a big yeah. event. We have about 1,600 horses that can, that participate. So anyway, um, you you both suggested to me, I was not familiar with McLeod's Daughters, um, that I take a look because of the horse element. And I was really glad that you did. It was an interesting experience. In did watching. you love it the way we did? Um, I, I don't know that I did, but... <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. I think we're going to have fun talking about it. <laughs> O'Toole, why did you love this show? I just became so addicted to the show. And I remember uh, back when we was running it, they had ads on TV that called it so addictive, so bloody Australian. It's almost as though it were Downton Abbey set on a ranch in the Australian outback run by two sisters. It was like a Jane Austen novel with horses and good-looking men. And there was something about the cinematography and the humor and the dialogue. And there's something about the show that really appealed to me. Let's just give a little background because I'm sure a lot of people have never seen it. And it's the story of a ranch in the outback of Australia where two young women were born. One of them, her mother took her to live somewhere else and basically she left. And then when the father dies, the head of the ranch dies, he leaves it to both daughters who have then since been separated for 20 years. And she comes back to, I guess, not a very welcome, welcome home. And they end up running the ranch together. It was such a high concept show because you could say it's the odd couple, but two sisters on a ranch. And also other women are involved in running the ranch. So basically it's a man's world run by women. And so for me, the intricacies of uh, empowering women and everything were just so, so clear in there. And I love that part of it. But Jeanette, did you, did you feel it? Where was your head on that? I guess it was difficult for me to get past the the crazy cliches that were going on. Wait, and just, what cliches? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, just from the very opening of the very first season, Claire, the the woman, the sister who was already at the ranch. Mm-hmm. So um, the other sister is Tess, and she's the one that was in the city and came back. So Claire is sitting on a horse, maniacally smiling and <laughs> waving at a helicopter, because obviously there's some man she fancies that's up in that helicopter. <laughs> And then the helicopter spooks the cattle, and then she, like, pumps her fist at the same <laughs> helicopter she was just maniacally waving at and gallops, up, uh, gallops off after those cattle. But she should have known that the helicopter is going to scare those cattle. And, I mean, especially if she's been doing this her whole life. Like, that was sort of the tone was set. 
And then immediately the next thing we do is go to Tess in the city who talks to, reopens a letter or just left a meeting and says to herself out loud, I'm rich, and then keeps walking across the street. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, well, when you present it that way. I know, exactly. So, Shanette, how many episodes did you make it through? I made it through, I can't, either six or seven. I, they, I did watch them one after the other, so I lost track of which was which I tried it was it was actually a struggle to get through that many and I <laughs> that's how much she wanted to podcast <laughs> it's funny because I started my husband watched the first episode with me and then he looked at me he says I can't watch anymore <laughs> and he's an actor by the way he, yeah and he knows oh, his no. stuff and he's like I can't do it <laughs> Okay, well, wait. I just want to say that, um, okay, well, while Shanette is a very smart person and very, very savvy, and she does have a point. It might have gotten better. I guess that's true. There are cliches. Well, there's lots. Do you, yeah. do you want me to share a few more? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so just even the characters. There's the tomboy, there's the slut, there's the girly, helpless girly girl, <laughs> and the wise older woman, right? <laughs> And the wise and, older woman. And the young girl who just can't wait to get out to the big, off the farm onto the big city. <laughs> There's no grandmother. I don't see any grandmother there. There was the wise older woman who then has the illicit relationship, which why does that have to be a secret that she has the relationship with that man? Because she doesn't want her daughter to know. We just have to address what Jeanette was just talking about. Yes, there is a stereotype of every single woman known to person kind on the show. But you know what? Isn't it about time we women get to show all pieces of ourselves in one show? There is no show that gets to be all about women. And you know what? And yes, uh, they are sort of cliches, but they're strong. Every one of those women is strong. They overcome something. Well, Tess was never strong in, in the stuff I saw. Well, she was in the first episode. She she fixes the door and she claims I can ride a horse and was right out there with them in the first episode. And by episode three, she leaned over to do a gate and fell off her standing still horse and then was afraid to get oh, back and have on. You never, now, by the way, Shanette also is a very good rider. Have you never fallen off a horse? Not standing still, leaning over like you'd fall out of a chair. <laughs> Okay, I know I made this point in our Mrs. Brown podcast, and Hollister, you didn't agree with me then, but I just wanted to give a little feminist shout out to McLeod's daughters and put it in a, in a perspective in terms of chronologically when this was produced. It first started as a telemovie. It was a made-for-TV movie in Australia in 1996, so almost 20 years ago. No, I, I think that the concept sounds fabulous. I agree that the idea of having women running the ranch, and, and there were things about it I did think were the, the the scenery was beautiful, and I did. I agree. Um, I would want to go and spend time in the saddle on that ranch. It seems to me like your experience was almost like a magnified version. It sort of struck you like chalk on a blackboard. Is that right? Yes, it drove me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas for me, it was like a relief almost. Like watching those women for me was like a relief. Like. Um, I, I don't know. O'Toole, help me out here. What, what what did you love about these women? I got to start with what I loved about the men, which is probably what drew uh, me to the show. Oh, um, interesting. Yes, Posey Graham Evans said that she auditioned a thousand actors before she 
cast Alex and Nick. The two brothers oh live on the ranch next door. Yes. Well, they don't look alike, and that always bothered me. They were totally Well, they have true. different fathers, which of I know, course you don't know that until season whatever. Yeah. But it was very hard finding horses, they said, that were big enough for Alex because no matter what they put him on, they said it looked like a pony because he's <laughs> so big. So then they had to go out and find special horses. But the production value of the show is something that I really applaud because they found um, a true property near Adelaide, which was built in the 19th century. It, it used to be a grand country home that was run down, which was appropriate to the plot. And they actually bought horses and sheep and turned it into a working ranch. So mind you, none of these actors, except for the one who played Alex, had really ever been on a horse. So they had to learn all the skills of sheep shearing and mustering. They bought the house. It was actually only something Mm -hmm. like 23 acres, which also speaks to the great direction because it really, you did feel like you were in vast spaces. And that house, everything, all the internal shots were shot, in fact, inside this rundown house that was, I think, 200 years old, right? It's 150 yeah, years much, old. Yeah, which much again older. reminds me of, of Downton Abbey because it gave that authenticity that it was shot on location and the cinematographer did an amazing job. It's the equivalent of making a feature length movie every 11 days. They were on that type of a schedule in terms of churning out the episodes. Wait, the question I asked you was what did you like about the women characters? And your answer was really I like the men characters and you never answered about Do you like the I women know, characters? Well, I liked the dynamic between them. And I have to say to Shanette's point, um, when I went back recently to rewatch the very first episode of the TV series, because like I said, the, the movie that was made for TV in 96, it took them so long to get funding. It wasn't until Sydney hosted the Olympics that there was renewed interest in showing the Outback on Australian TV. So at that point, all the prior actors in the made-for-TV movie already had other commitments. So by the time they got funded, they had to swap out all the actors to play McLeod's daughters. So um, I liked the dynamic between the sisters a lot. I liked the humor. But when I went back to rewatch um, the first episode, it was harder to watch because I felt as though Tess's character did grow and she wasn't so helpless. Um, but I think I cut her more slack than Shanette would because I know nothing about horses and I would be the first person voted off that island. I would have been <laughs> Tess bringing the espresso uh, machine and getting getting blisters from wearing the boots. I think the actors did actually a great job, especially hearing that they didn't have any experience riding before. Yeah, you're a rider. They did, really did a nice that? job. No, yeah. and I was actually looking for that and I felt like they looked pretty comfortable in the saddle. They obviously taught them enough to, to look comfortable. My point w- about Tess falling off when she fell off and then was afraid to get on a horse... In that scene, she was standing still, and she was leaning down to open a gate, and she just kept leaning, and all of a sudden, she just fell right off the horse onto the ground. Like, you could do that yourself out of a chair if you just kept leaning and didn't stop yourself and fell onto the ground. Like, there was no reason. It wasn't because she was on a horse. She could have been sitting up on a ledge and just leaned over and fallen. (laughs) So that really has nothing to do with riding. Oh, picky, picky, picky. So, Shanette, is it safe to say you didn't make it to the episode where Tess falls down the strain silo? No, I did not. Or I might have enjoyed the episode, that. The episode where she got stuck on a windmill. Did you see that one? Yes. Wait, no, I did. I saw that when she wanted to climb up there by herself, and then she got vertigo, and then she just plummeted, and okay, she but, fell down with Claire. All right, okay, but all right, if, we leave, if we leave the sort of pathetic things like that aside, okay, Tess is Pollyanna. Well, you know, Tess is, is eternally optimistic, 
she's very pretty and doesn't really see it quite the way the guys saw it, you know. But she does become bratty at moments, Really? Too. When was she bratty? When she had to have her cappuccino, <laughs> and she wanted to go into town. See, oh, really? I could relate oh, really? to that. I would I like to point totally out that relate. Jeanette is sitting here with her uh, iced tea from Starbucks. But I wouldn't whine <laughs> if I couldn't have it, and I wouldn't... But yes, I do enjoy my iced tea from Starbucks. But she was whining about her cappuccino and being such a prima donna in that one episode. But then the very next episode, she she traded the cappuccino machine for a cow, which was seemed much more practical. <laughs> okay, but how about how about the shearing? There's a, there's a, you know so so she has to fire all the shears because basically they've stolen from her. We won't go into that. And then she hires these sort of scary people to come in and help. And there's a shearing race. Yeah, between, that was kind of cool. Yeah, between Claire and the shearer that she brought in to see who could shear more sheep. Boy, you didn't know who was going to win. They showed it really well. You really wanted the girls to win. I mean, it was, you know, for me, those kinds of moments were like, yes, you know, put me up against any of those guys and I can do it. It's interesting because, you know, I went to a women's college, so I'm all about women's yes, empowerment, right? So, no, I didn't feel that. And I didn't even get that excited during the shearing competition because... I felt like he, she clearly was losing by a lot, and he then put the brakes on and allowed her to win. Oh, no, that didn't happen. Yes, it, it did. O'Toole, did that happen? Okay, this is already terrible, because I'm sitting here listening to Shanette, who has such a reasoned point of view, and while <laughs> I was watching the show, I was focused on how self-sufficient they were, because clearly I would have been that pathetic urban dweller out there on the ranch who would have let all the alpaca escape and let all the cows out and forgotten to feed the pigs, let alone the fact that I can't get up that early in the morning. Um, but now that I'm <laughs> yeah, listening to Yes, I can see how, um, you know, you're offering a very different prism into the the plot lines here. The first time she encounters the boys, it's in slow-mo because he's handsome. So we have to slow it down because you audience members are not smart enough to tell. I appreciated the slow-mo. I thought you could show it even slower. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Ladies, ladies, ladies. Okay, I'm going to insert a question here. This is one of the Hollister questions that comes up. Everybody, you can only answer in one word, Alex or Nick. Wait, which is the blonde and which is the brunette? Oh, my gosh. Okay, Alex uh, is the blonde and Nick is no, the... No, no, Alex is the brunette. Nick is the blonde with the limp. Okay, whatever. By the way, was it just me or did he sometimes limp on different legs? I think probably. Oh, he did not. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. You are totally traitoring me, All right. O'Toole. You're turning to the dark side. Okay, wait, I've asked a question. Alex or Nick? Alex. The tall brunette. That's Alex, right? The one who was flying the helicopter is yes. Alex. Yeah. The Wait, one who actually had no, true no, ranch no, no, experience no, 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 no. in real life. I don't like the blonde. Oh, my God. He's I'm, not my type. Nick. Nick. I thought Nick so, was too vanilla. Oh, yeah, I agree. Oh, my God. No, you're so both wrong. Absolutely. Um, hello, it's Nick had, a, <laughs> Nick had a soul, an amazing soul, and he loved her from afar, and he was afraid, you know, like he was shy, and he was... I didn't get that far. I don't think so. (laughs) I will say, however, in season four, I loved his proposal using cows. Who did he propose to? Tess? Who do you think he proposed to? I'd rather him be with Claire. Is that who he proposed to? this might be the spot to talk about season three. Oh, wait. I think I know what happened because I was was trying to get their names straight, so I went on IMDb, and 
I didn't see Claire anywhere. I'm like, why is she not listed? So then I figured that I read that. And I and I kind of was foreshadowed that there was something traumatic that was going to happen. Shanette, in all honesty, season three contains the most traumatic episode I have ever witnessed on TV anywhere. It took me five years well, let's to not even say who it happens to another episode. Let's say there's an unexpected people. death. Yeah, it's a very, unexpected. we're not going to say who. It doesn't even begin to describe it. The episode is called My Noon, My Midnight. And if anyone thinks they can't handle this traumatic episode, stop watching before you get to My We're noon, not going to tell you who, whose demise it is, but also, you know, somebody gave up their life basically. I mean, it's, it really, it is, it is shocking. It is brilliantly, brilliantly filmed. Don't you think? I was played like a fiddle. It was classic screenplay genius where they say you have to have a moment of levity followed by an intense moment, a positive experience followed by a negative experience, giving the viewer this roller coaster of emotions. It was brilliantly executed. I loved all of it. And I did feel that the last three seasons were definitely not as good as the first five. But what was surprising to me is they sort of ran out of plots and people kept leaving the show and that made it very difficult. But one of the things that surprised me is they never bring McLeod back. We never, in eight seasons, when they had so much time to flash back or do whatever, we never meet McLeod. He's never there. I was there. okay with that. I was I'm okay not with okay that. with that. I wanted to you know, meet him at some, they had, you know, the last three seasons, they were really scrambling for what they were going to show. And they could have shown, you know, when, when one, or, one or the other of the sisters leaves, they could have shown them in flashbacks or done it in a way that would have been, I think the story, you know, when you've got eight seasons, they, there were so many directions the story could have gone off the ranch or prior to that never, never happened. Well, in defense of the actors, they said that production took such a big toll on all of them, you know, that they move out. It was a mosquito issue, by the way, big mosquito issue. A mosquito issue. issue. They had to learn all these skills and then filming so many episodes. It's very physical. There's a physicality to that acting, by the way, which we also have to give the women kudos for. That was, you know, when they're wrestling, you know, you're going to give them that, right? That's true. Absolutely. And actually, I have a question, and maybe I don't know if you'll know the answer to this because I tried to do some research and I couldn't find anything. But I was a little concerned about animal welfare issues. And I don't know what the rules are in Australia because it certainly looked like. Australia is a country made up of outlaws. There is no rule. <laughs> I'm sh- I would like to think that they have an SPCA type organization. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you know, they tossed dead sheep on the side of the road. There were some dead cows. Like I don't know. They looked pretty authentic. I'm hoping that that was just you know makeup. But you know, that's a very good question. I don't know about the dead animals. I know that the producers have said they had the most amazing wrangling team because you know the actors had to jump on and off tractors. Um, the training was enormous. They learned to to lasso the animals. It was a danger, danger set. No question. Right. They said they owned 50 cattle, 14 horses, and bought and sold sheep. I know they had built special accommodations um, for the people looking after the animals behind the shearing shed on the set. Okay, don't you love the name of the ranch, Drover's Run? I want to live at Drover's Run. Hollister's Run. I do too. I want to go on vacation to Drover's Run. I told you, we're going to build this out west (laughs) and we're going to call it Hollister's Run. (laughs) And you know what? I'm going to bring my espresso machine and I'm probably going to injure myself from a standing position. (laughs) You're just going to just let yourself fall right off the side of a horse. You just lean over and keep leaning. 
Well, even listening to Shanette talk about Tess, I was so proud that I had an affinity for Tess and that I hadn't yet bonded with Jody because I felt Jody was even further down the rung. In yeah, terms I did of her not like set. Jody. I never liked her, never liked her, never liked her. But you know, her. she grew on me as the show went on. And is it just me or did she look a lot like a young Meg Ryan? Yes, she did. She did. I would yeah. agree with that. Yeah. But also, mm-hmm. she grew on you because she grew up, you know. You know, she was that sort of flighty teenager, and then she began to take responsibility and and everything else. Okay, now, all right, ladies, second Hollister question coming in here. Okay, who who are you on the show? I probably would be Claire. Shanette, you'd have to be Claire. (laughs) I'm not afraid to muck a stall. (laughs) I'm going to have to go with a character who appeared later on the show. Her name was Kate Manfredi. Hollister, do you remember her? Oh, of course I do. Wait, no one's asking me who I want. I want to know. Okay, in real life, I'm Claire, but I I wish I were Tess. I have no interest in being Tess. I like Tess. (laughs) It doesn't sound like you have any interest in being any of them. Okay, and then I was afraid somebody was going to say, gosh, I saw you in Meg. You know? (laughs) Really? No, I don't see you as Meg at all. Okay, that's good. Thank you. No, I see you more as Claire. Okay, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Well, Shanette and I have similarities in terms of how we approach things. But I think both of us are probably a little more charitable than Claire. I'm not more charitable. Yes, you are. <laughs> you present yourself that way. Yeah, you but I don't mean it. it. Yeah, so, but you, you would. <laughs> By the way, Claire, what the, the thing you have to give Claire is she, you know, I, I admire women who are able to live their lives where they are who they are, and they really, while they don't go out of their way to hurt people, they don't mind if someone doesn't appreciate who they are. In other words, they don't change their behavior to be liked, or they don't make decisions based on who's going to be happy with their decision. They based the decisions on their own sense of self. But I thought she wore that, like, her armor, Anger. Really. She wore a ba- badge yeah. of it. She was angry. Right, but she so she didn't allow the people around her, like, she wasn't, at all accepting of who they were, really, if they didn't fit into her mold. Like, she didn't care what people thought of her, but she didn't have a whole lot of time for the people around her. And actually, one of the things that I thought was interesting, probably because I watched it episode after episode, was at least for the first six episodes, it <laughs> seemed at the end of each episode, she and Tess bonded and smiled and sort of un- had awkward overly loud, overly long, extended laughs. Um, Hollister, this is where you and I insert our overly long and overly loud laughs. No, but yours are genuine laughs. Those were like forced. We're supposed to laugh for a long time now while it fades to black, and it took too long. But they... (laughs) Oh, my God. But Tell us how you really feel. They'd start the very next episode at, well, Tess sort of oblivious and Claire at her throat and angry with her, with Tess. But they had just finished the episode right before, sort of being best buds again. And that happened over and over again. And I thought, this formula is getting old. And don't they remember how that's they ended the last episode? Yeah. Actually, that's very interesting. I hadn't thought of that. But that, that there is a real point to that. There was this sort of rise of, ang- you know, love, anger, love, anger. Love, you know, definitely that's true. Yeah. It's funny, Shanette opens with that opening scene because um, do you remember, the, the, of course, the famous show Dallas? I think this show in Australia was what Dallas was to America. They couldn't wait to see oh, what was going to happen next. Yeah, it really was. And it's a similar type of all well, these dramas, et cetera. And what's interesting is when they brought Dallas back two years ago, the opening scene is that helicopter scene. There's a helicopter right. coming. No, I remember that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And to me, there was, I, wait, I've seen that before. Where have I seen that before? And it was McLeod's Daughters. And that yeah. might be partly why McLeod's Daughters also felt so dated maybe, to me. It yeah. felt very 80s. Well, it was, maybe yeah, Maybe it, Shanette yeah. would have shot Jr. <laughs> Honey. I'm not a fan of bloodshed. I, I would have just been nasty to him. 
She just snapped and walked away. Um, interesting. What? But didn't it take place in the eighties? In other words, isn't the time frame now? This is where no, O'Toole becomes. No, she had a cell phone no. walking across the street no. saying, no. "I'm so rich." She had a cell phone. Yeah, she did no, have a cell current. phone. It okay. was current day, but okay. you see, these are the problems when you watch 14 years later. But, um, Shanette, did you see the episode where they find out that their father's horse has cancer? Yes. Yeah. Did that, I thought that move was you not... at all? Yeah. No, I, I did. I, I, <laughs> oh, my God. It was, I was sobbing. I did, but, she, but, but the, I mean, that's actually, it's funny. They, the horse was colicky, right? Or then it had cancer. They had to put him down, but they, it had cancer. they had to Claire, walk Claire it throughout the night. had to do it. Well, Claire had to walk the horse through the night because no, of Claire cancer. chose to walk it the whole night. Other people offered to help, but she wouldn't let them. But the truth is, you don't walk a horse through the night because of cancer. You walk a horse through the night because they have colic. So that actually was just a detail that they easily easily could have fact checked. Yeah, but he, they then, thought he had colic, and then it turned out later he had cancer. I'm pretty sure. Is that right? I think so. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I was there when they. I mean, it was very sad that they had to put the horse down, and I got that was and it was her dad's horse. Yes. And I felt for Claire occasionally, but she was very shut off from anyone else. But then she'd warm to them right at the end and then, you know, be... No, there, there's an... Yeah. No, I mean, I hadn't thought of that, but that is true that it was sort of like, okay, you guys are friends. We don't need to go back to this part where you're not anymore, you know? Maybe part of that, too, was that was long before binge watching was even a possibility. So they knew that there would be a week between people oh, watching. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. Where, let me ask you a few questions so that people can realize that they shouldn't listen to Jeanette. They should listen to O'Toole and myself. Okay. <laughs> well, my daughter rode horses, and I... Um, I, I rode horses also. You're a rider. I am. Well, but I used to say, um, my friend Susan and I, she had a horse and I had a horse. And we always said, if they ever had a walk in a circle class, we could get a blue ribbon. <laughs> but my daughter, my daughter jumped horses and stuff in her younger years. So um, tell me, you know, I've often thought, well, you know, first of all, the equestrian world is very luxurious, you know, at the level that you, you know, that you work in. And that you show in, I mean, it is, it's a, you know, people, you know, jet set to the, to the events and, you know, and it's very expensive sport. Let's face it. You have to have a really good horse to do really, really well in, in that arena. Don't you think that they should do some sort of show around it? Like, well, there have been, but, there, but, well, like, I mean, not, there have been some like reality type shows. I don't know if there's mm-hmm. been, you're right. There could be, there could be a, like a drama. Yes. yes you know, I mean, dramedy. Well, if you think about, well, even, you know, there's been three shows in the Hamptons. There's the one that, that O'Toole loved, which was um, The Affair, right? I didn't the, see that, okay. but I've heard good show. things. Yeah. yeah, and then there was the other one that took place, Revenge, is from the is takes That's place in the there. Hamptons. I haven't seen that either. Okay, it would be a great movie that takes place during the Hampton Classic one year or something. In other words, they haven't done enough around, it's a small world, the equestrian world. It's not, you know, there are not millions and millions of people who jump horses at, you know, five feet. They just don't, right? True. True. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, so, you know, um, and, and I sort of felt as if in the Australian world, I love the horse aspect yeah, of that it. that was nice. And they did a good job being consistent with the horses. So I don't know if they traded out horses. I mean, they must have traded them out periodically. Um, but they they didn't change out, you know, did a Did you look for that for where you're bay. trying to see? If- I wasn't watching for it, but I usually notice that stuff pretty quickly if it's a different... I mean, right. it's like using trading out a different breed of dog, you know, that it would be silly. Yeah. They were good about that. At least there were... I mean, in the episodes I watched, I don't know if they, that continued, but I would think if they have people focused on that stuff. And then, they, you know, there's lots of great things that are so Aussie in there. It's like the ute, which... Um, mm-hmm which is a uniquely Australian vehicle that um, that's the body of a sedan with the back end of a pickup truck. And I thought, I want one. 
I want one for me. And it was first produced, by the way, in 1934 by Ford Australia in response to a customer complaint that they wanted a vehicle for both social and farming functions. Well, I have to say, now that I, now that Shanette has totally, you know, burst my bubble and I can't wait (laughs) to call O'Toole later and say, we're not having any more guests. (laughs) I know. We're going to have to put our bubbles in the back of the Okay, because I had prepared some quotes that I thought were really fun and funky that I read about in, in one of the quote sections somewhere. And now when I'm looking at them, I'm thinking Shanette's just going to burst out laughing. But, okay, Becky, her quote is, men, you can't live with them and you can't shoot them. <laughs> I yeah. love that. That's profound. <laughs> <laughs> okay, she didn't like that one. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure I've heard that before. Haven't you heard that before? Well, I think on Drover's Run, they might shoot them. At least they might scare them off with a gun. That's okay. true. And here's one. And see, all of these are just proving her point, and I hate to help her, but here we go. I know. So Alex says, he's drunk, and he says, I love you, Claire. I love you more than my chopper. <laughs> no, and I we know that's how sweet. felt about his <laughs> chopper. <laughs> She's now revised her opinion of Alex, and she thinks it's sweet. Okay. How about one more? It's Terry, who says, that man sowed enough wild oats to make porridge. <laughs> I like That's that. That's not bad. Okay. You like that? That's okay. Are you, can you go with that one? Yeah. Okay. That was clever. That the, the dialogue was where it suffered the most, and then really? the direction, okay. well, I, maybe it got better, but, you know, at one point early on, there, when someone's thinking, actually a few times people were thinking, and guess what they did? They held their chin because they're thinking. And then... <laughs> oh, no. Maybe they were, it was the weight of the, the hats. Yeah, they had to grab their chin because that was how you think on camera. And then the other one that I noticed a few times was touching a photo because that's nostalgia. That's remembering what was in the photo. You've got to touch the photo. If you could see her, she's a visual aid. Is is Jeanette rolling her hand around, touching the photo? Okay. Yeah. Hearing Jeanette describe it, I am now embarrassed to recall I know, that when I it's saw your that traumatic tool. episode, I know I was so traumatized by that episode. I called up my sister, probably in the middle of the night, since we aired it late at night, probably bawling and hyperventilating and trying to explain what had just happened. And my sister finally said, "Wait a minute, this person you're talking about is not even real." <laughs> I said, "What is?" But I just wanted to give a shout out to the creator, Posey Graham Evans, who created the show, conceptualized the show, wrote the show. She also wrote the lyrics to the songs in 24 episodes. In 2002, she was named alongside Meryl Streep by Variety magazine as, quote, one of 20 significant women working in film and television. The character of Stevie that was played by an actress. She did know how to ride. She makes an appearance later on the show, and she was so thrilled to get that part because she said her two great loves in life were riding horses and acting, and how often do you get to do both of those things at yeah, the same time? that's true. Yeah, I would think that that would be the mm-hmm. case. I mean, I've met a few... Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a few celebrities or actors who ride. Um, one who comes to mind is Robert Duvall, and he's been to the Hampton Classic, and it was fascinating meeting him because he is such a fan, in addition to being rider he's a fan of the sport another actor i was stunned to hear is supposedly such a big equestrian and has placed nationally in canada is william shatner yeah he does he he is a a rider he uh, rides tennessee walking horses i love that was my favorite horse growing up really i thought they were beautiful they they are pretty i'm not as familiar with Mm -hmm. i mean i've seen the horse well i've never seen one in person oh you haven't but i had a book when i was growing up and page 82 it was the tennessee walking horse and i decided that was what i was going to get one of the reasons i liked mcleod's daughter is i love and yearn for community 
and there is a family community, and then there's a community around the community. Whenever one of the other ranches gets in trouble, everybody comes forward. It has that sort of Old West mentality of, okay, let's circle the wagons and we're going to get it done, you know. And there's that good part about those kinds of stories, too, where uh, when, you know, when when Claire fires everybody and they've got to get these sheep shorn by the next morning, everybody comes over to help, you know. So I like that part of it. It definitely showed the strength of sisterhood and friendship and the beauty of nature. I will, first of all, Schnapp, thank you for coming on. You fit right in, even though you just clearly have no taste in shows. (laughs) Obviously not. (laughs) Uh, But you fit right in, and we're so glad. We hope you'll come back. I would love to. This was a lot of fun, but I I totally understand if you don't want me back. Oh, no, we don't. No, look, we're not a, we're just about people believing that we're right. So what we're hoping for is you guys are going to take a look at the first couple of episodes, and we'd like to hear from you. Is Jeanette right? Or are O'Toole and Hollister right? And O'Toole, I think, by the way, just pulled a Benedict Arnold. Like, I don't think she really stood up for it the way I did, but... I would still like to live at Drover's Run. I loved the first three seasons. Like I said, it took me five years to ever return to the show, and I never made it past season four, partly out of a time commitment. I heard it went off the rails long before it ended in oh, season Oh, no, it eight. never went off the rails. <laughs> I, and I would argue that maybe it wasn't quite securely on the rails in the first place. <laughs> there you have it. Three women talking about seven women who lived eight seasons and took Australia by storm. Clearly, you'll either love it or you'll hate it, but there's not a lot of middle ground here. I will also wanted to mention that there's a Facebook page up, McLeod's Daughter's Facebook page, and there's still all these people that are still talking about the show and bringing up things now. Remember this particular mm-hmm. moment? you know. And, and so if you do turn out to be a fan, go to McLeod's Daughters on Facebook and take a look at what they're doing. So thanks for coming, Shanette. Thank, thank you for having me. Shanette, thank you. And here's to Drover's Run. It'll take some time.